This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit to give me the wisdom to articulate what I feel in my heart. And sometimes we feel things in our hearts and we screw up or we're limited in the translation. (laughs) So I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now to help me express what I know he's saying. How many of you know he doesn't speak to your tongue, he speaks to your heart? For some of you, the filter is a little less seasoned and small than others. You know what I'm saying. You say whatever comes across the ticker. How many of you know that? How many of you married people would say amen to that? But I was listening to... uh, Tom last night and it reminded me so much of my journey with the Lord. My background is Greek Orthodox. I thought Jesus was Greek. I did. When I found out he was Jewish, I thought everyone lied to me who told me he was Jewish. I still believed he was Greek. Until I read my Bible uh, my cousins were archbishops in the Orthodox Church. One archbishop of Hong Kong and uh, Asia, the other archbishop of North and South America. So they were pretty heavy hitters. In other words, they ran the church in all of those continents. I was an altar boy. I, I, went, I was and am still Greek to the core. You know, we had a lamb. Every year, I thought it was a pet, and then I noticed after Easter, after our lamb dinner, the pet was gone. Very Greek. If you've ever watched Big Fat Greek Wedding, that's our family, minus the Windex. The Windex, I've never heard of before. We had other stuff, like wooden spoons, and women who could throw slippers like ninjas. They could turn corners. They were heat-seeking. I won't say this next one. Anyways. Well, I'll say it. Fine. Fine. Remember when the women were all waxing their mustaches before the wedding? I said, that sounds exactly like the way I grew up. So I grew up in the church. I was an altar boy. I cut the communion bread. I would wear the the sash, the whole robe. I would carry the massive candles. I did not miss church, I mean, barely at all during Holy Week. I was a good little Orthodox boy. And uh, then my dad got sick. My, my, My dad contracted a disease in his knee. My dad was always a really strong, fit, he still is, super shredded, fit guy. And all of a sudden now he's in a wheelchair or using crutches everywhere he went for like five years. He had a bone-eating disease in the knee that came through shells, actually shells that come out of the ocean. 
And so, uh, this rocked our family. Then my cousin died of cancer. Uh, he, he was older. He probably died at, I don't know, 40 years old, 45. I was seven at the time. And when he died, of course, that sent shockwaves through the family. And so during the wake, during the memorial, in our culture, we get together. Uh, we have about 10 <laughs> memorials. And I think it's just another reason for us to eat, you know. And you can laugh. You don't have to be so serious. I can say it because I'm Greek. <laughs> but if you say it, it's politically incorrect, okay? I can say it. So uh, we were in one of the memorials at my cousin's house who had passed away. And the women were mourning and they were all wearing black. Some women, when they lose a loved one in our culture... They never stop wearing the black. They'll die in it. But typically, they'll wear it for about a year or two after the death. And so, all the women are in black. I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm sitting on the floor of the living room, and the house is packed, and the door opens. When the door opened, a man walked in. And the moment his foot crossed the threshold, the room changed. You see, when Jesus comes into a room, it changes, if you let him. I wrote something today in my journal. And by the way, I'm, I'm not going to go over. So this has nothing to do with this meeting. I understand schedules. I'm speaking about the church at large, not just in America, but Robbie and Todd would tell you the same thing, and so would, would Tom. This is like an epidemic worldwide. You would think that the clock suffered, died, was crucified on a mountain, buried, raised again, and that the clock has ascended on high at the right hand of the Ancient of Days and is coming back again. It seems that we've replaced Jesus for the clock. And so now we're asking him to wait on us instead of us waiting on him. Some preaching sounds really good and might empower you, but it does not stand the test of time, nor is it biblical. Example, none of us use the Holy Spirit. He uses all of us. And anyone who understands and has ever walked with him really gets one thing. Dude, it is not me doing it. Now, I can yield my body, but the most I can really give God in every situation is a yes. That's really what I can give him. Yesterday, I was worshiping there with, with Todd. Jeremy was leading. Wasn't that beautiful? By the way, wasn't this beautiful? My Lord, incredible. And I'm there worshiping and realizing all the Lord really wants is me. So in my prayer, in my worship, I'm saying, Jesus, I don't even know what to say, but you can have me right now. Take me. Here I am. So there are people walking the earth who understand something, that it's not by might, that it's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. That is not weak faith. That is strong, childlike faith. That is dependency, and that is the posture of the heart, 
that is the type of altar, the internal altar that fire from heaven falls on. The moment we think we are doing it, we begin to touch his glory, which is an internal death sentence. And we step into the realm of being God's employee rather than his child. And what God is not raising up today are gospel employees. Can I name a few gospel employees? Judas, Balaam, King Saul, who died as though he were never anointed. Do you know what that word means? It means this. He died as though God's hand never touched him. That's what anoint means. Mishach, to smear. It means he died as though him and God never met. Judas raised more dead people than all of us here. Yet today he suffers in hell. So today, for instance, and I'll get back to the story. While I was praying, the Lord said, there's a guy in the house you're staying in who's working on the house. I go, oh, wow. He's like an electrician. I heard that in the prayer closet. Go lay hands on him. He's got an injury. So I took the little faith walk. I was staying like a beautiful guest house. I had to go over the patio, and I walked back there looking. Sure enough, there's a guy sitting at the table. Just me and him. Or just me, the Trinity and him. So we're going to win, if you know what I mean. (laughs) We're the overwhelming majority. So I started to talk to him. He asked me what I did. Before I could ask him if he had any pain in his body, he goes, "I I just came out of shoulder surgery. I said, well, can I lay hands on you? Can I pray for you? I did. I said, what do you feel? He said, I feel heat flying through my arm. I said, no, that's amazing. What do you think of that? Oh, I mean, uh, I don't know. And the next thing I know, his arm's going like this. I said, do you know Jesus loves you? And I begin to share Jesus with him. What's the point? We do not have to choose between <laughs> harvest and presence. Ever. Presence releases me into his voice. His voice brings about the opportunity to say yes, and guess what the reward is? More voice and presence. Are you hearing me? When you come to the Lord, eventually He's going to talk to you because He's the Word. (laughs) Are you hearing me? So eventually He's going to say something. Now there are times where His presence is so amazing that he doesn't have to speak anything specifically to you because he is the speaking. I'll make you an example. Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? You remember that? And Jesus just looks at him and goes, because he's truth. There are times where that happens. However, most of the time spent with the Lord, the Lord will begin to talk to you about people because he loves them. Now check this out. Though it is an amazing, amazing privilege to share the gospel. An amazing privilege. The ultimate reward for sharing the gospel 
is not just getting the person saved. The reward is more of Jesus. I want you to hear this. This is why that's important. This is why this is important. Because in that place, you actually live in this realm. In all I do, I do it unto the Lord. Are you with me? So when I'm ministering to people, I am aware of Him. That doesn't help me love people less. That causes me to love them more. I love people most when I love Jesus the most. John G. Lake said it like this. I have one hand on the sick and one on the throne. So today when you go out, you guys are going out again, right? When you go out and someone's in a wheelchair, somebody's sick, I just want you for a second, just take a moment and become aware of the Lord and partner with him with what he's doing in the person. That's what I loved about what Tom said yesterday. When Tom said, I was trying to break through to the atheist and finally God showed me the supernatural would open the door. It is so true. But when God is doing something, it's much easier to yield to the Spirit, find out what He's doing, and join it than to try to create your own river. Whatever I am aware of, I will release. So if I'm aware of Jesus... He will seep out of me. I said, he will seep out of me. I believe the time is coming as we are faithful to loving that one person, like you're going to do today. As we are faithful in loving them, the day will come where the miracles will happen when we walk around them, when we walk by them without knowing they're even in the same area of us. That is the harvest that is ahead. The Bible says of Jesus that he performed more miracles than there is room on the earth to contain the books. That's crazy. He didn't say there's, he did more miracles than there, are, than there is room on the, in the books on the earth. He said he performed more miracles than there is room on the earth to hold the books. Man, that's a, that's a big library. It's a huge bookshelf. The Pacific Ocean it's a super big bookshelf. Africa is a big bookshelf. How did this happen? The Bible says as many as touched him were made whole. Oh, I'm messing up the TV. Sorry, sorry. The Bible says as many as touched him. The Bible says the woman with the issue of blood just touched the hem of his garment or the hem, the tassel of his talit, and she was healed. Jesus was so aware of the power and presence that surged around him that he knew when it actually, the, the, the Aramaic and Hebrew actually says that it, in Greek, that it went through him and into her. He was aware of the Lord. This is why that's important, because we understand this, that when the Lord says, go pray for that guy, there's way more at stake than the guy. It's we don't want Jesus to turn his voice off. Why would he keep speaking if we don't steward the whisper? It's not just a matter of saying no to that situation. It's actually the Lord saying, I am speaking. And how well you listen and obey will determine 
whether or not you receive 30, 60, 100 fold in his speaking. You say, why is his speaking important? Let me tell you how David looked at it. David said it like this. If you're silent unto me, it's as though I've gone into the pit. Wow. That David, David's heart was like this. If you don't talk to me, I feel like I'm dying on the inside. I feel like I'm living in hell. And when you live with Jesus, when you live in his presence, all of a sudden you realize that his invitation to sharing the gospel, laying hands on the sick, making a phone call, all of these things, whatever God is telling you to do, you realize something, that God is inviting you into more of his voice. What did Jesus say? Think of this. This is all pertaining to the speaking of the Lord. I'll get back to the, my, my dead cousin's home in a second. <laughs> Jesus said this. I want you to think of this. He said, take heed what you hear. In other words, choose whose voice you're going to listen to. He said, take heed what you hear. We all have a choice as to who we will listen to. Then he says, for by the measure you use to hear, it will be measured back to you. Luke chapter 4. Think of this. this is, we use this for sowing and reaping in the, fi- in the financial realm. It works. But the context is Jesus speaking to us. Okay, so listen. He's saying, take heed what you hear. In other words, choose to listen to me. Step two. Determine how much and how well and how hard you will listen. Hard's the wrong word. How intently you will listen. Then he says... For by the same measure, with the same intensity that you actually listen, I will measure it back to you. Measure what? His speaking. Then he says, check this out, to the person who has little, even that, what's the that? His voice. Even that will be taken from him. But to the person who has much, even more will be given. So the person who decides, I'm not going to listen to Jesus. In the heart of Jesus, he processes it this way. They have chosen a small measure to listen with. As a result, their harvest in my voice will be super small. And it's the private victories that bring these public victories. It's what I love about Todd. I told him this last night. I said, this event is a harvest for every death you died when you were praying for people and you were not seeing the breakthrough. And you kept going and going and going and going. And what happened? God began to talk to him more about the people. Why? Because he stewarded the whisper. Jesus is a whispering shepherd for a reason. He whispers more than he yells, and this is why. He understands that the whisper and the, and the dim tone of his voice requires us to come near to hear him. You see, he's super, yeah, he's super, super amazing. He's like a mad master scientist in the spirit. 
Jesus is after someone, you. So he is actually using the tone of his voice, the soft tone of the whispering shepherd, to get something, you. Now, listen to what Jesus said. Just prior to that, Jesus is speaking of the parable of the sower. And he says that certain seed is stolen. Who is the seed stolen from? Those by the wayside. Right? He said the devil comes to steal the seed that is by the wayside. Where is the wayside? (laughs) It's away from the way. I'm going to say that again. The wayside is away from the way with a capital W. Hey, Aggie. With a capital W. In other words, distance from his presence causes the seed. What's the seed? What God has spoken over my life in the past. It causes that seed to be vulnerable in the now if I don't lean into Jesus now. Let me say it like this. Leaning into what God is saying preserves what God has said over my life. See, some of us have this prophetic destiny. I do. I'm dreaming about Orlando. I am dreaming about a place where God lives. It seems that I'm far from it in the natural, financially, all of this stuff. But I have this dream that torments me at night. And I think of Lou Engle. He says, God will not fasten your soul to a dead-end vision. So these dreams torment us, right? And then you have this prophetic promise, in my case, since I was 12 years old, over my life that is way too big for me to even fathom. And as grateful as I am right now, I, look at the, I, I listen to these words still all the time. From my father-in-law, from Brother Copeland, from Oral Roberts, from all, all these people. And I, I, I go, no, I mean... I, Yes, Lord, but at times I have to be honest. I'm like, I don't see it. Here's the deal. What God has spoken is at risk if I'm not listening to what God is speaking. So, bro, look. Jesus didn't say, will the Son of Man find miracles when he returns, though I'm all about him. You know that. He said, will he find faith? So he said, will he find faith? Our job is to throw the pitch. You say, what if I look stupid? Man, you're just going to be more like Jesus. What if they yell at me? Welcome to the club. What if they think you're weird? (laughs) Man, I jumped off that cliff a long time ago. It felt awesome. It felt so wonderful to finally not live according to the shackles of men, the perspectives of men. What's our job? Throw the pitch. Let God hit. God can hit. My friend Paul Teske says it like this. You can throw any pitch. I'm telling you, God can hit them all. You can throw it in the dirt. God can hit it out of the park. You can throw it in the backstop. God can hit that one too. Man, throw the pitch. People are like, I've never raised the dead. You ever tried? Have you ever tried? 
Why, doesn't, why don't the miracles happen today like they did in the New Testament? Have you tried? No, that's probably the problem. Nobody gets saved and I don't lead anyone to Jesus. Have you ever tried? No. This actually happens. But there's something about his voice. Check this out. That every time he speaks, it's an invitation for me to go to the end of myself. This will be hard for me to get through without getting really messed up. When God touches you, He's not concerned about your dignity. I'm telling you, I got so rocked in April. I thought I knew Jesus. At that same SOE that Chris got touched, I, I thought I knew him. I wrote a book about him only to find I barely knew him. I barely knew him. Because in his presence, the stuff we talk about that used to be cliche is actually a real encounter. It's real. When we say Jesus possessed me, that means his hand has to touch me and grab me and have me for his own. It's real. It's real. All very real. It's literal. That's why the devil came to, to Eve and said, Hath God really said? What do you mean? God only really says stuff. He, he, he doesn't sort of say anything. That's why in the realm of the Spirit, like in revival, in a, in a culture that loves presence, when you say hallelujah in the move of God, you actually mean praise ye the Lord. When you're clapping, you're not doing this Pentecostal jargon thing. You're actually erupting in praise and yielding your body knowing that Jesus is worthy. That's what his presence does. And you realize something. When he talks to you, he's after something in you too. What, what is he after? Romans 8, 29, conforming you in to the image of his son. That's the goal, that you would look like Jesus, that your eyes would flicker, that your face would radiate, that your heart would break for the lost, that you'd hate sickness, that you'd be as bold as a lion and put children on your lap, that you'd bless them, that you'd raise the dead and wash feet all at the same time. He wants you to look like Jesus. He wants you to be gentle like a lamb, but dangerous as a lion. He wants you to know the river of his spirit and the gentle breeze and the firestorm that comes when you yield your heart and your heart becomes an altar like a big bullseye from heaven and Pentecost invades you. This is what Jesus does to you. This is what God is after. He's after making you look like his son. Are you hearing me? That's what he's after. He wants you to look like his son. So every time the Lord says, go, go, right there. Go over there and do it. Yes, there's a blessing for them, but he's got something in store for you. You step off that cliff like Tom talked about. That, that line is like a line of demarcation. That line is self. And you step off that cliff of self, and you know what? You realize something, that he's nailing you to the tree so that your heart would be tenderized, so that the nature of the Lord would begin to live in you. Is anyone hearing me? Or am I a lunatic? He's after something. Every, vo every whisper is an invitation. An invitation into what? Looking more like the Lord. And that's what his voice does. Today you're going to go out and your heart's going to break. That's what Bill Johnson taught me. He said, look, man, when you... He, doesn't, he didn't say man. <laughs> he didn't say man. Look, look. That's how he said it. He said, look. 
when you feel compassion, it's for a reason. It's for a reason. He said, Jesus healed the multitudes because he had compassion on them. You remember that? You remember the passage? Remember scripture, when the scripture says, it says that he, they had been out there with him for three days and he said, we need to give him food. You remember? What was he doing for three days? It's in the chapter prior. Healing the sick. Think of that. What compassion. Jesus could have just spoken a word. But he chose to heal the sick. And there were so many sick, the gospel says, that it took three days. And finally he said, they've been out here with me a long time. What a loving Lord who heals their sickness and gives them a lunch on top of it. Who is like Jesus? Bill said, when you feel that compassion, it's an invitation to power. It's like a window. Today you'll be out there, and maybe you won't hear an audible voice. I don't know, maybe you will or won't feel something in your body. I don't know how the Lord talks to you. You might just have compassion. Pay attention to it like it's a holy radar. Because it seems so minimal, but it's just like Jesus. He is love itself. And the moment you say yes and lean into that invitation, the Lord goes, I know what I'll do. I'll flog them, I'll flog his hard heart with this beautiful invitation. And when he's all done ministering that person, no matter how it goes, we don't lose. Because we come out having obeyed and being more like Jesus. I'm telling you, the Christian is invincible. You know what the early writings of the church say? The early writings say this, we are those who laugh at death. We can't lose. We don't lose. The Christians laughed at death. They laughed at the torturers. To the degree, check this out, that when the apostles were beaten on the temple steps, the Bible says they looked at one another and went like this. Dude, we're being beaten for Jesus. Well, maybe they didn't say it so happily, but the Bible does say they rejoiced. Could you see me and Todd getting jumped here in Dallas? By some precious people who say they're Christians. And we get jumped. And Todd and I are looking at each other going, Bro, this is what happened to the Lord. With every lash, with every beating. Oh, it's what happened to him. I'm finding union. We don't lose. We don't lose. I see outreach. As more than outreach, I see it as walking with the Lamb. I see it as this holy invitation to be like the Lord today. And if you're turned away, you look at him with a smile, hopefully with a tear running down your eye. And you just say, Jesus loves you. Back to my story. This man walked into that house at the memorial. The moment his foot crossed the threshold, the air changed. The air changed. I mean, the tangible air shifted. It, it reacted to the Lord. 
I've been in meetings like that in our meetings where that's happened, where I can feel the atmosphere so charged with God's glory that even what's invisible, the actual air starts going, oh my God, the King of Kings is manifesting in this room. (laughs) The Bible doesn't say in the book of Acts that the walls shook. It says the place they prayed shook. The whole joint shook when, when the Holy Ghost fell. Everything, even the air, the oxygen goes, oh man, the Lion of Judah's here. And as a little boy, I watched a man walk in and I saw his face, and this is what I said, that man knows Jesus. And I had never heard the gospel. I had never, I didn't know, I had never watched Christian TV, we weren't allowed. But when that guy walked in, my little seven-year-old heart said, he knows the Lord. His face was so amazing. He was an Orthodox priest who had been filled with the Holy Spirit in Pittsburgh during the years where Catherine was up there ministering in the 70s. Miss Kuhlman was dangerous, man. She even got the priests and the monks filled with the Holy Spirit. She, she understood the truth that charismatics don't own the Holy Spirit. We get tripped up on stuff that God doesn't get tripped up on. I feel like we're more judgmental than God. This guy's eyes were like blazing flames. How many of you have seen like Kenneth Copeland's eyes? They're like lasers. They were like that, but his face was gentle. The lamb and the lion seemed to live in his countenance. The man was like the Lord. So Paul said that we are living epistles. That's why Jesus said, I am bread and I am drink. You can consume me. You can have me. You can literally ingest my presence until I renew your mind, fill your spirit, and eventually your body, the way you are, you begin to yield your body, and I'll flow through it, and I'll remind people that I'm alive. I'm talking about full-blown Holy Ghost possession. This is not a game. This is an awesome invitation. I'm talking about oneness, union with the Lord, man. So the man walked in and sat down, and when he did, he walked near the ladies who were mourning, and he just started touching them, and these ladies started flying on the floor. No catchers, because we didn't know you were supposed to have them. We're so advanced now. Now we have catchers. But you know, Greek women that time of year are well insulated. They just started flying. Boom, boom. And I thought, wow. You know what? It wasn't weird. It felt right. It just felt right because I could feel power coming off the man. My little mind said it like this. That power is stronger than the ladies, so it just makes sense. It just makes sense. Well, Jesus needs to make us children again. We like little children out there today. You just go around today loving people, listening to the next whisper. If you get it wrong, just say, oh, Lord, that was me, not you. I'm going to try again. That's all you have to do. So the ladies start hitting the ground. He sits down in the recliner. My dad has, remember, he has this disease. He hasn't walked without crutches and wheelchair for about five years. He has jeans on. And the crutches are behind the, 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 the couch. And that priest looks my dad in the eye and he asks him a question. 
That's what he said. Changed my life forever. He said, have you ever seen Jesus? My dad said, uh, no. He said, why not? <laughs> I thought, oh, this is going to get really weird. <laughs> he goes, uh, do you want to? My dad said, yeah, sure. So I'm going to date myself. Those were during the Star Trek years. And I thought Jesus would teleport straight into the middle of the living room. That's what I thought. I was just a kid. The priest stood up. And all of a sudden, he seemed to, his nature seemed to change. Like a boldness came over him. He was a man on a mission who had heard the voice of God, who would rather die than disobey. And he walked straight to my dad's knee without knowing anything and grabbed it two days out of the surgery with the staples still in the knee and squeezed it. Now, you got to know my dad. Todd knows my dad. The wrong guy to do it to. My dad used to drive around with a 45 caliber on the dashboard so people would see it who were walking on the sidewalk so they wouldn't try to do anything to him. That's what my dad did. He trained people for Vietnam. He was an officer in the military. He used to fight for money in Gary, Indiana. How many of you have been to... Robbie, have you been to Gary, Indiana? Yeah. So it's not exactly like South Lake. Right? No. That's where my dad grew up. The priest grabs the incision and squeezes it. My dad winces with pain. Well, that makes sense, right? Still tender. Two days out of surgery. And then the priest said something that I will never forget. Now hear me. Oh, the clock, it, that, that screen went out, Todd. I, no way, bro, I'm not doing that. No way. No way. No. I love you, but I'm not doing that. No. I put on these events. I know exactly how hard it is. No. I'm not doing it. But uh, if that could go back up on there, that would be <coughs> awesome. That monitor right there in the back, yeah, over the sound. Okay, so, 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 so check this out. The priest walks up to the knee, squeezes it. My dad winces with pain. And then the priest said something that shifted me forever. This is what he said. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to get up and walk, be whole. I want you to notice something. He chose a very specific Jesus. The right one. Not the one we make up. It is the truth, bro, I know. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying. I'm trying. If it's not, you tell me. You can't make up your own Jesus. You say, I wouldn't do that. Oh, sure you would. A Jesus that doesn't heal the sick is your own. You say, well, that's where my denomination came up with. Look, I get it. I, I totally get it. But why don't we start reading the scriptures through the lens of Christ instead of through the lens of our denomination? I, I get it. 
See, it's really, it's much easier to control a dead Jesus. Man, I'm going, I'm going to go. Can I go? Listen. We don't have a right to say no to the sick. Do you know why? Our back was not striped to pay for the healing. I don't have the authority to say no. I lost that right. That nail went through that perspective. They're his stripes. And they're his people. We give Jesus the reward of his stripes by putting our hands on the sick and saying, be whole. It's about him. I'm going to go. Listen, listen. If you're a pastor here, if you're a pastor here, help me, bro, just very softly. No, no, don't help me, sorry. Wrong moment. If you're a pastor here, they're his meetings. They're his church. They're his people. This is his word. It's his spirit. They're his wounds. And notice he kept them even after he was raised from the dead so that we'd never forget. He was wounded for our transgressions. When Jesus ascended, the Bible says he stretched out his hands and blessed them. Why did he stretch out his hands? So he'd say, boys, I love the glory. I am the glory. I want you to enjoy my presence. I want you to enjoy, but never forget something. I was wounded to pay the price. See, we have to love the Jesus of Calvary as much, of the, as much as the Jesus of the Mount of Transfiguration. We do not have the right to say no. We didn't make the payment. We are brokers. People say, I lost my church. It wasn't your church. It's his church. People say, they took my church. Maybe that's why. It's not yours. It's his. You say, my ministry. Where would our ministries be had the Holy Ghost not dropped on us in our weakness and empowered us. This is about him. It's all about him. You say, why do you say Jesus of Nazareth? Because that's the right Jesus. It's the Jesus of the word. Not the one who's dead. Not the one who doesn't love people enough to set them free. Not the one who, who didn't die on the cross so that the world would be saved. Not the one who doesn't release the power of the Spirit. It's got to be the right one. The one from Nazareth. The one who was born of a virgin. The one whom the angels announced in the heavenly choir and said, look, he's coming. He's coming. Peace be unto you. A savior is born tonight. It was so majestic that even the angels had to celebrate. That's the one. The one who was rejected enough because the Bible says he came unto his own and his own did not receive him or recognize him. The one who was born in a manger. The one who was born of a virgin. That one right there. The one who fled for his life. The one who ran for his life. The one who was finally raised in a ghetto called Nazareth. The one who learned submission and wisdom and obedience and grew in favor with God and, and man. That Jesus the one who knew the word. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. That is not, you're not, a, man, it's not, doesn't mean you don't love the presence. You read your Bible. It's all one. It's all one beautiful life we call life in the spirit. Read the word of God. Even Jesus said something to the father. He said, you know what, father? You didn't desire sacrifice and offering. That's not what you want. 
It is written of me in the scroll. Jesus knew his destiny according to the word. That's the right Jesus, the one in the word. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all one beautiful picture of who he is, man. The one who lived among us to reveal the Father. The one who slept through a storm. The one who calmed a storm. The one who is God and is still man. That's what the Bible says. He is the man, Christ Jesus, who ever liveth to intercede for us. The one who became a man to become acquainted with our sorrows and our griefs. That one, that one right there. The one in the scriptures. I spent five years in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and didn't know why. Now standing before you today, I know why. It's about him. It's that Jesus right there. We can't make up our own. You say, well, how do we do that? The Israelites did it. Didn't they? They built a calf with the gold God gave them that spoke of divinity. They took the revelation of the fact that Jesus is God and said, I know what we'll do. We'll turn him into a cow. But notice they built a calf and not a lamb. But you know what they said? Let us have a feast unto Jehovah. They built their idol and just named it Jehovah. In our hearts, we can build our idol of Jesus and say, you know what, this is what Jesus is like. No, that's not what he's like. Not Jesus of Nazareth. The one who gave his back to those who striped, the one who gave his beard to those who plucked it, the one who set his face as flint, the one who gave his brow to the thorns, the one who was beaten and stripped, Matthew tells us, that he was stripped naked in front of a garrison of 600 people, the one who was split open and his organs and his bones were showing this Jesus who gave himself, that one right there. The one who cared so much that he multiplied food, that one. The one who loved to be with the Father so much that he climbed a mountain just to pray and we can't get to the recliner because it's just a little chilly in the master bedroom. Are you kidding me? The right one. The one who carried his cross. The one who was nailed to a tree. The one who became the curse to curse the curse. And two negatives equal a what? He threw the devil the greatest curveball in the history of the universe. Took on the curse. And nailed the curse to the cursed tree. And all of a sudden the curse disappeared. That one. The one who breathed his last and redeemed one on his side. All of a sudden, he let out a huge groan and gave up his spirit and the one who plundered the underworld. Plundered it. Jesus didn't suffer down there, guys. That's not what the Bible says. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he went down there as a conquering king. If he suffered down there, then the blood is not enough. But he said it's finished. And he went down there and he said this. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to embarrass you and take captivity captive. Give me the keys. And Isaiah, oh man, I feel the anointing. Come on, hit him, hit him real soft, bro. Hit him real soft, now you can do it. All of a sudden, Isaiah's down there and David and Jeremiah and Daniel. They're going, dude, this is it. David, is this what you were talking about? Is this it? Open up your heads. Be lifted up, ye ancient gates. For the Lord strong and mighty is coming in. He didn't come down there to suffer. He came to break the gates down. And he took captivity captive. What does that mean? He arrested those who were in paradise he took them in his love and arrested them in his love and pierced through the ground three days later man broke the grave open this is the gospel right here 
This is the gospel, the glorious gospel. It's heaven's song, and it's all about him. Man, Jesus, we love you. It's all about Jesus. And he broke through, and all of a sudden, the Bible says in Matthew, after Jesus was raised from the dead, that the graves opened. And Jerusalem became like this holy, I don't even know what to call it. Imagine your great-grandfather knocking on your door, saying, you want to have a Bible study? i got to tell you what happened down there. It's amazing. This is a victorious king. How does cancer even have a chance in the shadow of this amazing king? And then Jesus is appearing for 40 days and 40 nights and sitting them down and won't even have a Bible study without the Holy Spirit. That's what Acts 1 says. By the Spirit he shared with them. Doesn't it say that? Everything spoken of in the commandments, the Psalms. And the prophets, the things concerning himself. Jesus wouldn't even have a women's aglow meeting without the Holy Spirit. What time is it? Aggie, what time? Okay, good. Perfect. Jesus revealing himself in the scriptures. In the presence of the Holy Spirit with his disciples. Charges them with the great commission. And the Bible says he is lifted by the Spirit, that cloud is the Spirit, and pierces the atmosphere. And the Bible says he who ascended, did he not only descend, so that he might fill all things. That means everywhere he goes, he leaves a trail of himself behind. (laughs) Are you hearing me? Is the gospel still exciting to you? You say change the subject. I don't, it's the Father's subject. It's him. It's, it's, it's what he's about. The Bible says he ascends. And then Jesus made a promise before he went out. He said, Terry in Jerusalem, wait until you're endued with power from on high. He said, I'm going away. It's, it's best I go away. But don't worry. When I get there, I'm sending a comforter. He said, I won't leave you as an orphan. The greatest way to live with an orphan spirit is to reject the Holy Spirit. He said, I won't leave you as an orphan. I'll send a comforter. Jesus sends 10 days past, waiting. Pastors, they waited 10 days in one accord, maybe we could give him 10 more minutes on the Sunday. I don't know. Maybe the stakes are that high. Maybe Jesus is that faithful. Maybe he's not a liar and he said if we sought him with all our heart, he'd really come. You said that would mess up my program. Burn the program and get him. Burn it up. Burn the program. You say, that's not what I was taught. Let him teach you. Let him teach you. All of a sudden, one day, the Bible says, there's the sound of a rushing mighty wind. It filled that room they were praying in, and fire fell on every head. You say, that was for then. No, it wasn't for then, because Peter said, this promise is for you 
and your children and those afar off. <laughs> and when the Holy Spirit fell, that was Jesus saying this, boys and girls, <laughs> I made it to my destination. I made it. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. I made it, boys. It's proof. And there's the seal and the the down payment. I made it. And here's the deal. You remember when I told you you'd do greater things? It wasn't because you're better than me. It's because one day I'd be seated at the right hand, ever living to intercede for you. And I'll let you walk with the same beautiful, loving Holy Spirit that I walked with. It's not about how great we are. It's about his position that gives us access to greater works. So that man said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk to my dad. My dad turned around to grab the crutches. And that old priest got really bold. He said, no crutches. Walk, I said, walk. I thought, this is wild, man. Whoa, what a funeral. What a funeral. Man, and my dad took a step. I never saw my dad cry. I've seen him cry, and now he cries all the time. Saw him cry at his mom's casket, and I saw him cry in the face of that Greek priest. He said, I feel fire going up my leg. The priest said, take a step. And my dad took another step, and another step, and another step. The next thing you know, he's sobbing. He said, what happened? And the priest said, Jesus healed you, and sat right back down. Next day, we went to the doctor who invented the artificial knee in Clearwater, Florida. And my dad leg pressed more with the knee that had the surgery that had been atrophied for five years that was barely bigger than my arm. He leg pressed more with that leg than the good leg he'd been using for the five years. And all the muscle returned in one night. Yeah, I felt to provoke you to see the majesty of Jesus today. No one's too far gone for the blood. No sickness mocks the glorious majesty of the one who is and is to come. Today you'll walk out with the compassion of the Lamb and hands dripping fire. Not in your own authority, but in the authority that has been invested in you by Jesus. Can you lift your hands? Oh, Lord, how we love you. Lord, I pray that as your servants go. Can you pick up those keys a little? I pray that as your servants go out. 
that they would flow and be possessed by the glory and fire of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you now, just receive. I'm telling you, he's flowing. He's flowing. He's flowing. He's flowing. He's flowing strong right over this section. In the name of the Lord Jesus, receive the fire of the Holy Ghost. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I commission you in the authority of the Lord to go and reveal Jesus in power and compassion. In the name of the Lord, receive the power and presence of the Holy Ghost. New fire, new baptism, new new vision, new faith, new boldness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Todd, bro. Todd, bro. Jesus, we give you praise. Just receive, receive, receive. Keep drinking, keep drinking. Pull that in. Pull that in. Pull that in. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life everywhere.